hear two different perspectives on interracial dating. What's it like and why we still do it. Full Circle, Fridays at 7 p.m. Produced by the Apprentices of 94.1 KPFA. And this is 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFC up in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned now for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your mind. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture, drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is, oh, it's Tuesday again, folks. I, I know that we're having um, a marathon coming up. Um, Yes, this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, right? I can't remember now the date. I think it's somewhere around Hall Valentine's Day or the day before. Anyway, we will be talking about fundraising and that good stuff. And uh, oh, uh, what a shame that the weeks before the movies, yes, uh, here come the, the Oscars. Uh, I put all my notes on the Oscars in front of the TV set, and then I thought, well, I'll try to say something that hasn't been said before. And then I realized um, it doesn't much matter. One thing, Colin Firth, that delightful English actor who was so sexy in Pride and Prejudice, uh, might get his Oscar this year for playing Queen Elizabeth II's father, you know, the one with the stutter or stammer. And that's cool, but... I just want to recommend to those of you who actually go to the movies, you know, to discover something or who are looking for another level of psychological depth, you know. I recommend you a movie from 2009 called A Single Man. Now, this is my favorite Colin Firth performance. It's just an amazing movie, uh, very low-key. I think that's why it was not... uh, uh, you know, a big hit. It's about a, um, gay man in 1962, three, four, like that. He, he's had a 16 year love affair with, um, a man who dies. And, uh, we see how he is excluded from the, uh, the life of his, uh, lover. And it's all pretty sad. What it is is fascinating historically. I looked at the role of Julian Moore in the movie. Juliet Moore. Julian. What is her name? Uh, <laughs> she's the beautiful redhead. Anyway, um, I, I choked on that part because it was so familiar. The divorced woman, you know, she's out to save the gay uh, 
man from his fate. You know, she just thinks that he's uh, substituting his love affair with the man for uh, a real life with her. Uh, anyway, it's a great part, and uh, it's as two-dimensional as things were in the early 60s, I'm telling you. Anyway, check out A Single Man if you like to if you like to watch actors really peel the onion you know really show you what's down there what's really in their hearts anyway it's the sort of thing well Engmar Bergman did it with internal monologues this time you just have to read his face anyway Colin Firth in A Single Man would be the movie I would see in preparation for this year's Oscars uh if you have to see the social network, go ahead, but I'm going to leave that to younger people. I just got a dreadful headache from the damn thing. I'm sure it will impress a lot of people who think that the young man who, yes, uh, the young man who created Facebook and now has $25 billion, uh, he's the richest billionaire in the world, the youngest billionaire in the world, pardon me. My numbers are off today, but obviously it's something that would have happened to some guy somewhere. I don't know. Uh, I I guess money is part of uh, what makes life, what is it, uh, meaningful, significant. I suppose $25 billion does make you someone extremely rare. Anyway, check it out. I I might review it in depth one of these days if I can get someone who is 20 years old to tell me just why this movie is so fascinating. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what I want to do today is spend just a few minutes telling you about an Egyptian woman. I'm a poor Egyptian scholar. Uh, actually, this woman, the one whose book I have in my little hand here, is 80. So I'm sure that the young women on the barricades in Cairo today uh, have a great many things they would like to tell us, but I have to go to the old scholars just to fill in the blanks here and see uh, what I loved about Nawal Sadawe when I first read her was that she she didn't beat around the bush. She wasn't shilly-shallying. She wasn't saying that, you know, you could... Um, be a feminist and uh, still get your hair done, something, you know. She wasn't making excuses. She was a, uh, is a Marxist and a socialist and all that good stuff. And she seemed to understand that, uh, you know, romantic love is basically neurotic and not much to do with real love, as we used to say back in the early 80s, yes. You're either a masochist or a feminist. There's no no change. You know, you're one or the other. Uh, now, uh, I like best, well, actually, the book that I've got with me is the one I started with called The Hidden Face of Eve. And the author's name is Nawal El Sadawe. She's been on the radio a bit since the... Uh, uh, revolutions, let's call them that, the revolution in Egypt. And I've heard her, I think, on old BBC several times. Uh, this book here that's in front of me, Women in the Third World Series 2, Nawal El Sadawe, last name spelled E-L, capital E, E-L, S-A-A, 
D-A-W-I, first name Nawal, N-A-W-A-L, Egyptian doctor, novelist, militant writer on Arab women's problems and struggles for liberation. Ah, born on the banks of the Nile and refusing to accept the religious and colonial oppression imposed on most women of rural origin. Anyway, she at some point was Egypt's director of public health. But then she wrote a book called Women and Sex where she said some of these things about women being the uh, recipients of colossal injustice. So, of course, they kicked her out and she uh, eventually wound up in prison for a couple of years. Um, I remember writing about this in local paper back in 81, 82, something like that. Uh, Yes, Woman and Sex, that was the one that got her into the deepest trouble. Uh, Anyway, uh, I heard her, yes, as I say, uh, recently on the radio, and she is in Cairo, so we may be hearing more from her. She's uh, traveled a lot in this country, especially she's given classes here up in the northwest. I remember, I think she was in Seattle, and once when she visited Cal. She was in Wheeler Auditorium, and there was a a scene to die for. I wish we'd had a camera over there, because the drama, the people who came and uh, cursed her personally, the women in veils, and the the men who said that, you know, uh, (laughs) he was the Antichrist, that kind of thing. It was pretty funny. Uh, Anyway, and she was so sweet in her big red sweater, um, I hope, I hope that we hear some more from her before uh, too long. Actually, might be able to get her here on the phone. Anyway, if you get a chance and you find you can find this book, I don't know. I'm sure the library might have it. The Hidden Face of Eve is the one I would start with and Woman and Sex. Uh, what I would like to do is spend a little time, just read you a few snippets and snippets especially about history. I guess that's most of what Sadawe can teach us. What fascinates me the most is the fact that in Egypt, uh, there's been a lot of periods in history, recent history, where women's liberation, let's call it that, uh, did very well. You know how that was. <laughs> Germany between the wars. All of a sudden, we have all these wonderful feminist breakthroughs, and then boom, you know, comes the backlash. Anyway, Nasser outlawed these terrible practices of female genital mutilation. I think that was 1956, right? Anyway, bam, it's back again, and, uh, Oh, oh dear, I I guess I'm one of those people who always assume that progress uh, was progressive, right? That once things got better, they stayed better. Wrong again. Uh, Let's see. In the hidden face of Eve, hmm, most of us today have read a lot of this stuff, at least we've picked it up from the news, we know all these things. Uh, what most people don't know is the history. It's like, uh, in this book, she tells us that Herodotus talked about the veil, the uh, 
let's call it the packaging of women, the wrapping of women, and how that goes back way, way, way before the prophet. It's not uh, religious at all, although the religious practices, um, you know, um, (laughs) used it, exploited it, right. Anyway, it goes back to the time when women became property, uh, when they became uh, possessions, right. And I think, let's see, I was thinking, I, I, I was skipping over this morning, I was looking through this book and I was skipping over all the, uh, what are they, the tacky bits, right? Uh, <laughs> Sigmund Freud considered that a man was one thing and a woman another. He considered that the urine of woman had less shine to it than that of men. Because of woman's innate curiosity. (laughs) Anyway, she quotes, yes, from the books that are written by men. Mm, Yep, yep, here's one. The urine of women, in any case, is thicker and whiter and has less shine to it than the urine of men. This is due to woman's active curiosity, the weakness of their digestion, the greater width of the openings through which it flows, and the fact that the secretions of the uterus mix with the urine. Okay, Uh, there's a lot of this stuff, and (laughs) I I suppose it gets people's attention. Uh, It frightens me because I have seen pictures of movies about um, the practices of female genital mutilation, and it is, um, what is it, uh, Alice Walker, when she traveled to England, she said that some of the women she lectured to fainted, literally passed out when they saw the pictures and realized what this practice uh, meant. Um, Okay, um, I suppose, yes, before we read the bit about history, let me read you just one bit, because this does seem to be the subject that comes up over and over again followed by recriminations saying that it's none of our business here in the West. But uh, I say that it is uh, not tradition, it is torture. Uh, Anyway, uh, Egyptian families still impose on young female children the barbaric and cruel operation of circumcision. And this is what Nawal Sadawe says about that. She says, the research that I carried out on a sample of 160 Egyptian girls and women showed that 97.5% of uneducated families still insisted on maintaining the custom. This percentage dropped to 66.2% among educated families. Of course, now we're talking back here in the 1970s when uh, Dr. Sadawe was a practicing physician. Uh, And she's mostly talking about uh, rural families, uh, She says, when I discussed the matter with these girls and women, it transpired that most of them had no idea of the harm done by circumcision. Some of them even thought it was good for one's health and conducive to cleanliness and purity. The operation in the common language of the people is in fact called the cleansing or purifying operation, despite the fact that the percentage of educated women who have undergone circumcision is only 66.2%, as compared with 97.5% among uneducated women. 
even the former, that is, educated women, did not realize the effect of this amputation of the clitoris. Yes, the effect it could have on their psychological and sexual health. Okay. Oh, God, let us hope that the numbers have changed. Uh, in recent years, millions and millions of women. Anyway, she she gives us a dialogue that she had, um, uh, the sort of dialogue between herself and the women that she was treating. Uh, have you undergone circumcision? Yes. How old were you at the time? I was a child about seven or eight. Do you remember the details of the operation? Of course. How could I possibly forget? Were you afraid? Very afraid. Footnote here. There is a description by Dr. Sadawe of her own genital circumcision, which is too horrific to read on the air. Uh, uh, she's back to her typical conversation with the patient. Um she says, yes, they're very afraid. I hid on top of the cupboard uh, under the bed in the neighbor's house. Anyway, they caught hold of me uh, and so forth. And she goes on to describe the horrific nature of, uh, well, okay, more and more and more of torture and um, the idea that women, strange women, as well as the child's mother and female relatives, uh, Ah, what a betrayal that must have been. Anyway, then, uh, yes, the woman usually suffers such great pain. Yes, some of them lost consciousness. So the flames seemed to sear me. What happened after the operation? Patient says, I had severe bodily pains, remained in bed for several days, unable to move. The pain in my external genital organs led to retention of urine. Every time I wanted to urinate, the burning sensation was so unbearable that I could not bring myself to pass water. The wound continued to bleed for some time. My mother used to change the dressing for me twice a day. Uh, Dr. Sadawe asks, what did you feel on discovering that a small organ in your body had been removed? Patient says, I did not know anything about the operation at the time except that it was very simple. It was done to all girls for purposes of cleanliness, purity, and the preservation of a good reputation. Okay, this is all about honor here. It was said that a girl who did not undergo this operation was liable to be talked about by people. Her behavior would become bad. She would start running after men with the result that no one would agree to marry her when the time for marriage came. My grandmother told me that the operation had only consisted in the removal of a very small piece of flesh from between my thighs and that the continued existence of this small piece of flesh in its place would make me unclean, impure, and would cause the man whom I would marry to be repelled by me. Doctor says, did you believe what was said to you? Of course I did. I was happy the day I recovered from the effects of the operation. Felt as though I was rid of something that had to be removed, had become clean and pure. Anyway, she goes on to say that uh, all the answers she obtained from both educated and uneducated women were along these lines of... Uh, some of them were even medical students. She expected medical students to answer the questions differently, but uh, they said, uh, you know, just the same things. Uh, 
Sadawe said, you are going to be a medical doctor after a few weeks. How can you believe that cutting off the clitoris from the body of a girl is a healthy procedure or at least not harmful? And the medical student answers, this is what I was told by everybody. All the girls in my family have been circumcised. I have studied anatomy and medicine, yet I have never heard any of the professors who taught us explain that the clitoris had any function, no function to fulfill in the body of a woman. Neither had I read anything of the kind in books which deal with medical subjects I'm studying. (laughs) She goes on to say, yes, it's true. To this day, medical books do not consider the science of sex as a subject which they should deal with. Let us hope, footnote here of my own, that this day is done. Oh, oh gosh, let's see, this is a generation ago, two generations ago. Well, anyway. Okay, the origins of a woman worthy of attention. Uh, oh, excuse me, excuse me, the organs, organs, organs. <laughs> ah, the bits, the parts, the organs of a woman worthy of attention are only those directly related to reproduction, namely vagina, uterus, and ovaries. The clitoris, however, is an organ neglected by medicine, just as it is ignored and disdained by society. (laughs) I remember a student asking the professor one day about the clitoris. The professor went red in the face, answering him curtly. These are uh, a male professor and a male student saying that no one was going to ask him about this part of the female body during exams since it was of no importance. (laughs) Anyway, Dr. Sadawe goes on to say that she went on to study the effects uh, of the removal of a woman's primary sex organ and how incredibly, what is it, physically, mentally, psychologically, uh, what is that? Uh, crippling this surgical procedure is. And uh, some other day I'll read you the effect of what is called a pharaonic circumcision, what is done in the Sudan, in which um, all the outer bits of the labia, the whole, the whole, uh, uh, never mind, the, the operation is much more extensive in the Sudan. If you want to look these things up, I'm sure you can find them. The point is, of course, that uh, this is uh, torture for social control. I don't know what else we can call it. Uh, and as Herodotus says, yes, <laughs> it it renders women basically slaves. I have one little chapter here marked. Oh, yes, it's about the men. Yes, one of the doctors, he had, I think, three wives. And he he said, no, you wouldn't leave home without shutting the door. This was the answer to the question about would you want your wife circumcised. He also said he could not live in a home where there was sexual tension. Therefore, uh, he had to have his women neutered, as it were. Uh, Okay, let us us go back to... uh, (laughs) Let us go back to the 13th rib of Adam. Women in history... And then women in Arab history. Uh, fascinating stuff, because of course, mm, all patriarchal religions have been pretty hard on women. I don't know why we think there's anything so special about Islam, but uh, anyway, Nawal Sadawe, in her book, The Hidden Face of Eve, 
tells us, yes, the ancient Egyptian civilization is more than 5,000 years old. It precedes the advent of Judaism. It's the first of the three monotheistic religions. We have been able to study it in the remains of cities, temples, and in the writings inscribed on papyrus and so on and so on. To this very day, write, many people in Arab countries and all over the world literally think that Eve was the first woman to appear on the face of the earth. They also believe that she was born of Adam and grew out of one of his ribs. That's the way the story goes in these sacred books. Uh, let's see, there's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the basic, uh, what would I, what do we call those? Um, oh, Abraham, yes, the religions of Abraham. Uh, most people are not aware of the fact that women trod our planet before, long before these monotheistic religions descended upon us, long before the human race came to know anything about Adam and Eve. If we return to ancient history, important facts related to the position of woman at home and in society will be revealed. We will also discover that the changes affecting woman's status and role were intimately related to the way in which the social and economic structure of society evolved. The unveiling of this relationship between economic and social infrastructure of society and the position occupied by women constitutes the key, the key to understanding the reasons for the downward path that finally led her at the time of Judaism to a situation <coughs> where she became a mere rib in the body of man. Oh, there's so much good stuff here, all about ancient Egyptian religion, which I used to love to study. I love Akhenaten, you know, the first monotheist. For my students here in uh, Oakland, I remember I had the most wonderful uh, fresco. It was a picture of the great Pharaoh Akhenaten. And he was standing in the middle of the room, middle of the, uh, the fresco, the wall, whatever it was. Uh, it seemed to be his tomb, I think. And his wife was about half his size, and she was worshipping him. And the children were about half the wife's size, and they were worshipping both um, mother and father. And, of course, Akhenaten was worshipping the son, and he was the biggest. So we have the perfect hierarchy, you know. Uh, it was fun. Oh, and some slaves who were so tiny, you know, that they're like little ants. And uh, we had that song in the old days, you remember, by Pharaoh, honey. My students put a, a big notice on the fresco pointing up to the monotheist Akhenaten. We think he was maybe Oedipus. I do. I think the mythology got mixed up and he's Oedipus Rex. Anyway, the kids put up a big cartoon bubble on top of it and it said bye pharaoh honey and now i guess at least i hear on the news that we may be coming to the end the entire end, end of an pharaonic era the last pharaoh uh, may just be about to leave the stage of course what nawal sadawi in her book 
tries to tell us is that the women of Egypt occupied high places in the affairs of their country and certainly in the realm of religion. Many, many centuries of what we would call, I guess most people are calling it uh, goddess religion. Let's just call it uh, the old religion, yes, the old gods, uh, the pagan centuries when um, things were what some people would call in balance, you know, when your mama had something to say about how things go down. This has been Jennifer Stone. I will be back on the air next week. I'm not sure if it's marathon or not, but until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go to Cairo and check out the scene. KPFA's Winter Fun Drive starts Monday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. You can share the love for KPFA, your listener-sponsored radio station, by answering phones during the pledge drive. KPFA needs volunteers on weekdays starting at 6.30 a.m. until 8 p.m., except on Thursdays when the phone room is open until 10 p.m., and on weekends from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. We especially need help in the early morning and on weekends. Please show up and share the love for your listener-sponsored radio station. The Winter Fun Drive starts Valentine's Day, Monday, February 14th.